gentlemen, welcome back to the final two podcasts. Today we have a very special guest, none other than Bill Horrenda. Yes, sir. Great well, to have you on. Show. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. No doubt. No Thank doubt. you for coming on the show. Thank you for coming on the show. Pleasures are absolutely. Uh, so, Bill, start us that. off. Start us off with you know. You were in basketball a lot. You've always grew up, played the game, loved the sport. And after finishing your collegiate career at UMass Lowell, which is actually where your brother used to coach as well before he came to FDU, Coach Greg Carenda, what was your first, you know, occupation and what drove you to first attain that position? Well, you know what, guys, ironically, Greg was an assistant coach my freshman year up there. And, uh, you know, I played at St. Peter's Prep in Jersey City. And by the end of it, it was a great ride. It was a great experience, but I really was just completely burned out uh, with playing. And, uh, you know, we won a national championship at the division two level my senior year and had a great uh, crew there as far as uh, teammates, coaches and the coaching staff and the administration. Uh, so I took, I took a sales job with my cousin who, who ran and still runs garden state office systems back in Jersey and sold uh, filing systems and for office furniture to doctors and hospitals. And that was my first foray into the business world. And again, I just, you know, while coaching always kind of like loomed uh, near me, I, I kind of was burned out, uh, got a little bit away from the game, but I volunteered as an assistant coach at St. Peter's Prep, but thought that, you know, business was going to be the path uh, for me. And, and that's, that's the path that I chose early on. Although, I never realized at the time that it would become kind of a circuitous route and that basketball would always kind of, and entertainment would also kind of pull at my heartstrings. Mm -hmm. So before we even get into all that, I want you to take me back to where did basketball become like your favorite thing in the world? Where did that passion come from? I want to learn a little bit about that. Well, I think it was really, you know, my environment. Uh, obviously, as you guys know, growing up in, in Jersey and in Hudson County, I was born in Jersey City, grew up in North Bergen, again, went to high school down at Prep. And, you know, if you had a ball, uh, you, you, you had something to do. And there was a court, uh, the 79th Street Courts, uh, right, literally right across the street from my house. And if I was looking for activity and there was none there, I'd go to 82nd Street and the park there or 88th Street. So to me, uh, it, it's a global game, of course, and it's not just an urban game. It's, it's a rural game. It's a suburban game. But at that time, for me, in my world, it, it, was, it was right there. It was everything that I wanted and I needed. It was really part of our environment. You know, my brothers played. And also, really going back to my grandfather, uh, Bad Bill Berg, and I, an ironic nickname because he was a terrific competitor on the floor, but a real gentleman off of it. And you guys remember uh, his son, my uncle, Billy. So, you know, Bill Bergen and uh, Tony Caland Calandriello, my uncle, my great uncle, they were semi-pro basketball players and semi-pro baseball players. So it, I, I kind of felt like I was born into it and, and loved it. No one ever pushed me to play. I just kind of gravitated towards it. And really as a kid, enjoyed every minute of it so it was like a very natural uh 
progression. Who knows if there had been a piano in the living room, uh, <laughs> maybe I'd be, uh, you know, uh, a Billy Joel too. I don't know, but it was, it was, <laughs> it was really, it was really basketball and sports that, uh, that did it for us. How have you take, taken your drive for athletics, for sports in general? How have you taken that to the business world? How is that, how important is that you, you would say? Well, I think it's really important because as life has evolved uh, and the world has evolved, I, I think you realize that at the end of the day, the only thing that you can control is really doing your best. So whatever it is I'm doing at that particular time, if even, you know, and I do a lot of radio interviews on the NBA, for example. Uh, so what can you bring to the table that maybe people are not familiar with. Do people remember that UB Brown's cardinal rule of the NBA playoffs is controlling your defensive board? Uh, do they know that Oklahoma City won 30 clutch games, that that was the most clutch wins, games within five points with five minutes to go in the NBA? Do they know of Dallas's struggles to finish, uh, that they, you know, don't quote me on this, but it was – 17 games that they lost bringing a lead into the final stanza, uh, mm -hmm. et cetera. So anyway, I, I, I digress a little bit, but I think uh, we all have unique gifts and talents and passions. And I think it's really important to go to sleep every night and think about what have I learned today? How have I gotten better? It reminds me of my notebook that I kept when I was playing at, at UMass Lowell, and I would literally write down everything I did that day during the offseason to become a better player. And now I think it's very a very similar parallel in, okay, what have I done to make the world a better place? How have I helped that listener, uh, that audience member, better uh, understand – and it's not a coach's clinic, uh, but, but it's informative and it should be fun. So how, how have I been able to inform and entertain today and brought an experience for someone that maybe they wouldn't have if I had just mailed it in? Mm. Yeah. How important is it to take notes? Because that's one thing I learned in my internship this year was the importance of taking notes in the business world and whatever you do because it helps you retain more information. How was that note-taking changed your life and – improved your, you know, strategies to be successful? Yeah, it, it's everything, Oliver, to me. Uh, particularly, uh, I think my memory is pretty good, but uh, there's nothing like writing it down to reinforce it or to, uh, you know, jot it down in, in my notes section of my phone, of course, uh, that's linked with my MacBook. And I refer to them all the time. And, you know, for example, I've got a – a cheat sheet on every team in the NBA that the foundation for it is either NBA.com and their stats or basketball reference to be able to go back to those notes uh, all the time. Uh, and it's also a good way to track, am I growing? Because if you're not taking notes and there's an empty slate, it's like that may not have been the most productive day. So uh, it's funny that you ask about that because I'm, I'm a, religious uh, note-taker and just picking up different tidbits uh, along the way is, is, a, is a real opportunity because there's so much good information out there. And I also am a big believer, too, in 
attributing credit uh, to where you garner your information from and make sure to really, uh, you, you know, credit those. It's like Sinatra. He was great at uh, acknowledging, well, whether it was Don Costa or Nelson Riddle, the arrangers, or Rogers and Hart, the writers of, of uh, Sammy Kahn, the writers of his, of his music too. So uh, I, I think that's an important uh, an important quality to have to kind of uh, have, a, have a wide view of the world and, and, get, and give people credit where credit mm-hmm. is due. Absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned that. I've actually been listening to a lot of Sinatra and D. Martin lately. I don't know why. I mean, listen, I'm a young kid, but like, I just find it soothing, relaxing, listening to their music. But now take me back to when you first, you know, got the position to become like an NBA contributor, as you mentioned before. You know, you talk about the note taking, you talk about learning the game, watching tapes and strat- uh, strategic analysis as well. So what was the atmosphere like when you were working as an NBA contributor, you know, stepping into the NBA arena and what were some of your favorite moments out there, either on the court or what you've seen in games? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because a lot of it is not, it's similar to being 12 years old and being on the corner of 79th street and Kennedy Boulevard and breaking down players and the game and matchups. And now of course, in this era of, of data and analytics at your fingertips, there's, there's a lot more, uh, to go with there. But I would say that uh, the most memorable moments for me uh, back in uh, 2014-15, that season, I was the uh, Sacramento Kings insider mm. on NBC Sports Bay Area. And the, the night Clay Thompson went for 37 in the third quarter against oh, the Sacramento Kings, I, I was there. And, and ironically, I had an episode, although it was momentary, I lost my voice during the pregame show, which we had great fun with. Uh, Bobby Jackson, the studio analyst, who's now an assistant coach with Sacramento and, and played there, uh, and Guy Haberman, the studio host. We, we had great fun with that. But that certainly was an incredible uh, individual performance to have seen that live and uh, was just amazing. You know, you run out of superlatives to, to describe uh, what that was like. Uh, and then also uh, being a Jersey guy to work all-star weekend at Barclays Center and then at the Garden, uh, the game was at the Garden and then the dunk contest, the three-point contest was at Barclays Amazing Center. Amazing dunk that, that, contest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so that was, you know, really uh, uh, another special uh, uh, night. But, you know, I'm not really big on on those. Th- those are things like that are most vivid for me. Mm-hmm. Uh but to, but to be honest, I'm, I'm always kind of looking forward to the next thing, you know, and uh, like I did, I've done, uh, Gary Radnich was kind of like the Mike Francesa of the San Francisco Bay Area. And I did his show uh, during the playoffs, I believe it was back in 2018. It may have been even last year, shortly before he retired. And that, that was a lot of fun because in, in that area of, uh, of California, he was a he was a guy that was like synonymous with sports talk and, and what have you. So, so that was a lot of fun. So, so there's, uh, although a loquacious answer, there are three, uh, three, uh, I guess three answers to that. No, I, I just take, I just take away one big thing. You say you're from New Jersey and you're an actor, a speaker, an NBA contributor. You are, you have a lot of accolades, a lot Very of things versatile. you're doing. 
very versatile. How did you get these opportunities? How did you put yourself in these situations to succeed at such a high level? And Especially beyond like, basketball. That's very Beyond impressive. basketball. Very impressive. Well, no, you know what, guys? I think uh, – thank you. And, uh, I mean, I think there are some messages that, that I uh, – things that I've learned al- along the way. I've got a great wife and, and great daughters who are real supportive. And part of it is, you know, not saying no to opportunities, trying mm. to listen to the universe and really go with the flow. Mm. Because I'll, I'll give you a, qu- a, quick, a quick example. Uh, I was doing basketball broadcasts as an analyst at UC Davis. Uh, they're a member of the Big West Conference. And they asked me to do uh, football sidelines reporting for the radio broadcasts. And I said, yes, I did it. And it, it, it was really a different skill set. And it, it, it taught me, you know, you have to get in and out pretty quickly as well during basketball broadcasts on radio. But this was another skill set of like interviewing the coach at halftime and post game and a player post game and to get in and get out, give an injury report. So that led to doing morning sports updates on a iHeart radio station in Sacramento, similar to like WINS or similar. It's a news format. uh, So similar to INS in New York. But if I hadn't done the football halftime reporting, I may not have had the skill set to do the quick, you know, one, two minute updates, dropping in audio and what have you. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, never say no to an opportunity. And then each opportunity kind of builds on the next. And then the acting is, uh, you know, kind of another, I would say, you know, offshoot of that work and that discipline. And Jenna Fisher, who played uh, Pam in the office, she has a great book called The Actor's Guide. And there's a there's a lot in there that is valuable to any pursuit in life, and she talks about you know like you kind of you know if you're good or not like you know you can feel it in your heart and if you if you are if you think you are you know to keep going, and really you are enough, and there's an acting coach uh, here in Hollywood who's absolutely tremendous. I've I've only audited his classes, but Joseph Perlman and he says like. You know, when you're done, and I think this, this is a really good barometer for anything that you do. Uh, was it fun? Was it effortless? Did you make an impact? And did it feel like you? So if you can answer in a positive fashion to all four of those questions in whatever you're doing, uh, you're probably on the right track. I agree with the positivity. I think everything in life, you must stay positive, even though me or Sal are young per se. We've, we've earned a lot in our short amount of years, but to see someone so successful as you and hear that the positivity is still going on in, in your, um, through your success, it shows a lot that no matter what, since you were little or to where you're at now, you have to stay positive. So I think that's one thing I just took away from everything you just said. So without a doubt, that's one thing I feel like our viewers should understand is no matter what, you got to stay positive. There's always, there's always a reason why things happen. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, we lost my father. I, I was 12 years old. He was, he was 50 at the time, which was absolutely tragic. And, uh, you know, we, we lost my sister and my sister-in-law while, when they were in their 40s. And, uh, you know, there's no uh, – th- there's not a tougher setback than, than, than those, than those types of setbacks. So uh, – 
but but I I agree that uh, you've got to have the visualization, you've got to have the expectation that things are going to work out, and, uh, and and listen, you know the entertainment business is is tough, man. I mean, it is really uh, tough, and I you know I've had my share of setbacks, uh, really in all walks of life, like whether it's business, in entertainment. And it's all about the next play. And, uh, you know, it's like uh, Charlie Mars, the sports psychologist with the Cleveland Indians. He's worked with Cavaliers and other uh, professional sports franchises. And it's the, you know, the growth mentality as opposed to the fixed mentality. So I've got to believe that I can grow and get better. And where I'm at now, I'm not locked into this ability. And, you know, the, uh, the own it, claim it, own it, fix it mentality. And, you know, stay in the moment, uh, work on this experience, and don't get caught up in the results. Uh, stay within the process and stay focused. And, uh, you know, in th their case with the Indians, it's, you know, baseball isn't who I am. It's, it's what I do. So to have that detachment as well from performance to, to who you are, and recognizing that uh, uh, things will get better and re really believing it. Yeah, to me, it, it's really been everything to, to, to stay positive, even during some extremely difficult times, whether it be personally and, uh, and professionally. So, and I also feel like, you know, growing up uh, back in Hudson County was just great. I, I loved it. And I, I think, I really learned how to how to persevere there, and I think through basketball is where I, I learned a lot. A lot of those uh, a lot of those lessons uh, early er, early on in life about persistence and sticking with something. And uh, and I was also very fortunate. I had great coaches growing up. I mean, Jerry Halligan was a legend at St. Peter's Prep, and he was kind of like Bob, the, the Bob Hurley before Bob Hurley, and Hurley played for him actually. Uh, as well, he coached at Prep for 30 years. Had a lot. We had a lot of team success there, and then again the success at UMass Lowell. So I felt very fortunate that I had positive experiences, which helped me really believe that anything was possible. So how did you gain this opportunity to be in SWAT and do a, a role? And I saw that you said that coming in the first day, they were very loving to you, very accepting, and you felt like you did an amazing job right away off the bat because you felt like you were welcome. Can you, how was that feeling like to be in something like that? Cause honestly, that would be a dream of mine. I would be like in a movie or something like that. Yeah. Well, no, no it, you know, it's very interesting because, uh, you know, going into it, you kind of feel like as someone who's going to appear in one episode and Jenna Fisher gives this advice in her book to kind of like stay, stay in your lane, uh, because it's like a family atmosphere and it's really a, a, a locker room and you're a guest in that environment. So I just went in with, you know, uh, the mentality that, Hey, I just want to do the best possible job for uh, the people I'm working with. Of course, uh, the entire cast and crew uh, and also ultimately the audience but you could just tell right away that the culture there was was special. And uh, Shamar Moore and uh, uh, Kenny Johnson, David Bradley Lim, the whole cast was just extremely uh, welcoming. And uh, 
it was just a, a, a great uh, experience. How it happened is, you know, probably I think for many actors, uh, you know, you have representation and they're identifying roles that would be a good fit. And, you know, just one thing leading to another and the stars being aligned and it being, uh, you know, coming to fruition. Uh, so I was really fortunate that that, that, that happened. And uh, it, it was just great. I can't say enough about, about uh, those guys and, and the environment that they have at that, at that show. It really was uh, special. And, and hopefully the finished product was uh, good. And it also had, you know, it was Eric Dickerson and uh, uh, Willie McGinnis, James Harrison, uh, some NFL guys were, were on that show as well. We're in that episode, I should say. And uh, so it was kind of fun. There, were, there, was, a, there was just a, a positive vibe all around. That's incredible. And I saw, I saw a clip. I think a clip of a moment that you were acting in, and it was a serious role as well. You know, SWAT is a very serious show, talking about criminal investigations and whatnot. So the late, great Kobe Bryant, I don't know if you guys know the story, but he would study the game tremendously, obviously watching tapes of Jordan, receiving advice from Phil, Phil Jackson, but he also took the time to study actors. One in particular, it was actually Heath Ledger. He used to be the Joker. He was the original Joker in The Dark Knight. Yeah. He was inspired by the way he just, you know, ultimately like was all consuming in that role, became like that psycho joker and used that as inspiration for his huge night a day later at the Madison Square Garden. He scored 61 points because he was just motivated by Heath Ledger, you know, changing into that, you know, that mamba mentality and becoming an animal. So I ask you, you know, being that you're an actor, how do you flip that switch in your mind? Cancel out the reality, you know, I'm not... I'm not Bill Horrenda. I'm this character in this show now and become, like I said, all consuming in your role. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, the, part of it is having the ability to, to just kind of slow down. And, you know, I, I've been, I guess it's all a year and a half, two years doing some meditation, which I think is really helpful uh, you know, I've also gone like to, a, you may, you guys may think this is going, I'm going crazy here, but you know, I've gone to like a plant-based diet over the last couple of years. Oh, I'm and, on that. Uh, Three months. Sal's been oh, telling really? me this. Sal's been telling me this the past summer. I eat too much really? rice and beans. Honestly, it's go. very, well, very good for you, honestly. Yeah, so uh, but that actually qualifies as plant-based, the, uh, the rice and beans. That's good. That's good. The, the, so, Sorry, sorry, go. I, I can no. talk all day about rice, beans, and chicken, beans, and chicken. So <laughs> yeah. don't get me started. <laughs> no, no. So I, I think, you know, I, I raised these issues uh, in answer to the question only because I think that if you have the ability to kind of slow your mind down and to kind of control certain things, I think I think it's helpful to to actually perform. And I, I think those are things that help. Uh, you know, your, your performance. And uh, I, I think like anything else, kind of the ability to, uh, to practice and understand, you know, your lines so well that you're not repeating your lines. You know what I mean? If you have to think about it, uh, that's not good. You know, Bob Usler, uh, the uh, sports update guy on w one of the sports update guys on WFAN, I heard Tim Capster on, on one of the Brooklyn Nets uh, uh, broadcasts recently say that you think you stink. 
So if you have to think, you can't think and hit, right, uh, Yogi Berra. So yeah. I, I think uh, from that standpoint, uh, just being able to kind of quiet the mind, kind of slow down, focus, be, be in the moment, and rehearse and have your uh, the right perspective. At least that for me sets like the right environment to uh, to perform and hopefully bring uh, you know bring it to uh, a level that again at the end of the day you're, you're gonna you're gonna be pleased with with uh, Perlman's four criteria. You know it's crazy because awesome. it it's like a whole circle because that's what sports is like. When you have main on third, when you run at third, you got to slow the game down. It doesn't matter if it's the first inning or the last inning. It's about slowing the game down. Same thing as basketball. Now you talk about the real world. Everything is connected to, like, the sports world, I feel like. So that's just one thing I just took away from that whole conversation you were saying. Because I, my next question was going to be, like, aren't you ever nervous being there? Any butterflies? Like, if it was, like, a, the beginning of a game? Because anyone could tell you there, there's always a little butterfly to so the first shot goes up, to so the first hit, first pitch gets thrown. What was that for you as well, or no? Absolutely, yeah, all the time, all the time. I mean, even you know, for every appearance for 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 today with you guys, uh, or you know, I'm I'm I do a bunch of you know different SB Nation radio. Uh, I do a weekly appearance there on one show and some other ad hoc appearances in different cities throughout the country, and and certainly yeah, for for the uh, SWAT appearance, uh, yeah, I mean. And I, I think, uh, you know, performance anxiety is, is, is a real thing. And I think uh, it's good to acknowledge it and, and embrace it. And I also think that it's a, it's a way of, of knowing that you really care and that it means something. Because if you were just winging it all the time and you didn't care and there was no anxiety, uh, you know, may, maybe, uh, maybe you're not where you really need to be. Uh, to do to do your best work. So yeah, that's that's definitely you know part of it uh, all the time. And it's and it, there are a lot of parallels to playing. You know, like having played back in the day. Uh, you're right. Like I can remember that feeling of uh, you know my heart beating really fast and, and my breathing being f fast, and also the the feel of like cotton balls in the back of my throat. But that lasted, like, that was very fleeting, to me at least. You know, because, like, once you get into the flow of the game, like, you come off the bench and you check in for the first time and you have those – but it kind of goes like that first possession, you're into it and you're, you're, in, that, you're in that world. But uh, – and, and I guess it's similar here. You know, you, you, you do an appearance and, you know, you answer the first question and then you're into it and you're just thinking about the – about the series and you're thinking about, okay, can Dallas bounce against the Clippers and, you know, these eight seeds are beating the, the one seeds and it's, it's, you know, rarely happens. But, uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm nervous all, all the time, all the time. I've been very, very nervous with this playoff series. And I was actually going to talk about that, you know, being that you're an NBA contributor, you're watching all these games, man. What are your predictions, man? I am so skeptical. Nobody has, <laughs> nobody has home court advantage. I was so pissed off yesterday. LeBron had a triple-double, and his team did not help him besides Davis and Kuzma. I mean, it's so – it's insane. It's insane. Anybody can go. It could be an eight seed being a one seed or a seven seed being a, a two seed. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it is, Sal. Really, the uh, – and I'll – I, I – how do I 
listen, I, I think the NBA has a way of of embarrassing you if you don't absolutely bring it. And, you know, like in Milwaukee's case, they looked like, like you know, just somnambulant early. And I, I, I don't, it's hard to explain why, you know, why or how, how that is. And, and I think that, you know, in this age of Twitter and what have you, it's easy also to overreact. So it's only, it's still only one game, you know? Very true. Exactly. So, and Orlando beat, I remember Orlando beat Toronto last year, game one of the playoffs. And next thing you know, Toronto wins the whole thing. I was, I was believing that they were not a championship team by letting Orlando beat them. So again, like you said, you can't just judge it by one game. Yeah, 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 you really can't. And you know, it's funny, Steve Clifford, we go way back with him uh, to uh, when he was an assistant coach at St. Anselm's up in New Hampshire. And see, his teams are always well-prepared. They usually defend without fouling, and they're low-turnover teams. So they don't beat themselves. So if you do that, uh, you've got the ability to stay in games. And their offense lately has been very good. And Vucevic was tremendous yesterday. He went off. And mm-hmm. they, he, he went off. And they were making threes. And we know that Milwaukee, they do defensively. Now, they're, they're the number one uh, rated defensive team in the league. But they will give you the three-point shot, and they protect the paint. So they, they've allowed the most threes on average per game per night, have the Bucks, even though they're the number one defensive rating team. So if you're making threes, and again, you're defending, you stick to the game plan, and you know, you're defending without fouling as, as Orlando does, and you take care of the ball, you, you give yourself a chance to win, which they did. Now the Lakers last night, this was kind of interesting. Now I tweeted this out last night. You think about this. They held Portland to 100 points. That's 15 below Portland's average, okay? They held the Blazers to under 40% overall, under 40% from three. They had 18 more field goal attempts than the Blazers, and they lost. But therein lies the problem. They had 17 offensive rebounds, but they shot – Five of 32, 16% from three, and just 35% overall. So Mm -hmm. the numbers always tell a story, and it underscores the need for balance in in the NBA. Because if if you listen to those numbers, you would have thought the Lakers win. But Mm -hmm. why why did they lose? They really lost because their defense was pretty good, but their offense was feckless, and that's something that they're going to have to that they're going to have to correct. But again. Uh, as scintillating as Lillard has been, uh, it's just it's just it's just one game. So we'll see what the adjustments are. And, and I apologize if I'm going long here or. Oh, no, I love this. We love this. Or all this is great. exactly okay, what we good. like. Good. Exactly what we like. So what do you? How do you feel about the bubble? How how crazy is that? The NBA just honestly, truthfully, in my opinion, as much as I love baseball, I think as of now, I think goes NFL, NBA, and baseball. Maybe even NHL before baseball, because I am disgusted the way baseball's been handling things. But let's not even get into that. Anyways, so <laughs> I really think the NBA has done an amazing job with the bubble. What do you think about that? How did that bubble? Like, I don't know. It's crazy to me how they handled yeah. it that way. Yeah, well, you know what, Alvin? I think that uh, it, it's gone extremely well. And there's nothing more important than the health and safety of the players, 
coaching staff, the NBA staff there, the game operations people, everyone, the, the folks that are wiping up the sweat on the floor. There's nothing more important than the health and safety of everyone involved. And uh, I, I think, you know, when you look at it beforehand, it was a audacious move, uh, a bold move to bring everyone to one spot and try to make this work. And, and it's worked. And to the players' credit, uh, to everyone's credit there, they have, again, really displayed the, uh, the mental toughness to get this done. Because I'm sure it's not easy to be kind of isolated. But now you're seeing, you know, the, the ability for some family and what have you to enter the bubble as the, as the six teams depart, you know, who are not, did not qualify for the playoffs. So, uh, so yeah, it's worked out really well. You got to give the NBA a lot of credit, and uh, knock wood, it'll continue to be a safe place. Uh, and I, I think, you know, the other uh, uh, service that they're providing is yes, they're providing entertainment, but they're also providing a platform uh, for uh, social justice and for racial equality, and to be able to have. Uh, you know, the game, yes, but then also have those messages be articulated and shared and broadcast throughout the world. So I think there are a variety of things that uh, that the NBA being back in the bubble is, is providing. And I, I, I think all of those things should really be obviously applauded. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I was, was going to say, I, I beg to differ, Oliver. I think the NBA is killing. I think they're the, alongside UFC, those two, those two organizations are the best right now in the no, sports business I'm not, with the I, bubble I'm, idea. I'm not saying the way they handle COVID. I'm talking about like, not, like truthfully, how like NA, NFL is like above everything. I, I think NBA is better than NFL, but I'm just saying NFL is still up there. I feel like they're number it's debatable. one. Debatable. So what do you, what do you think, Mr. Randa? What do you think? <laughs> who's who's oh, killing yeah, it right man, now? I'm, 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 yeah, you gotta call me. You gotta call me, Bill. Too. Bill, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll be respectful. I was just being respectful. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks, thanks. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. But no, I, I would have to say NBA, just because I'm an NBA guy, you know. Thank uh, you. But but I, I I certainly have respect for uh, for for every uh, for every professional league. But if I'm forced to choice, forced to choose, I would go with the NBA. Mm-hmm. I, I I love the Mets. That'll tell you all you need to know about. Uh, about my take on MLB and uh, my uh, emotional state there, although they're playing a little bit better lately. Uh, one, of my, one of my closest friends is Jose Reyes, actually. That's actually kind of crazy. You're a Mets fan, so. Is that right? Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, he just retired, right? He just officially yes. retired? Mm-hmm. That's my workout partner. So um, last summer, we worked Flex out every day. Uh, worked out, <laughs> we worked out every day. And then once COVID hit, I mean, it's like we all went our separate ways right now, so. Without it, that's kind of funny you said Mets fan. So I kind of had to add that. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. That's great. That's great. Pass there pass is nowhere way. to come. Come support us. <laughs> File two. <laughs> so uh, what, being an uh, NBA contributor, yeah, let me, let me segue into this now. Being an NBA contributor, you've had a lot of experience watching the games, watching professionals, but you've also taken the time to watch college basketball, you know, the powerhouse conferences. And – your brother is the head coach of Fairleigh Dickinson University, of course. And, you know, being that you watched all these games, all these highlights, you've commentated, you know, what are some key goals that a team like FDU should make 
you know, at the jump of the season and, of course, for the road to March Madness? Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of, of Greg and what he's been able to do at FDU with, of course, his staff. Uh, you know, Bruce Hamburger's been great and Pete Lapis and Darius Stokes and uh, Dwayne Lee and, and Maurice Joseph, guys that have moved on. Uh, so, and the administration, Brad has been great as AD and David before him, uh, President Capuano, the whole, the whole administration, because I think uh, it's just important to recognize uh, the training staff. See, I think what happens is a lot of times people see, this is, uh, you know, Shane Parrish is a guy who runs the Farnham Street blog and the Knowledge uh, Project podcast. And he's kind of like a mental models guy. Like he's been into Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and I, mm. I kind of got into his stuff lately. And he has a great line. He says, what, what you see is never all there is. And I, I think that's important for all of us in anything we're looking at. So what you see is never all there is. So it takes so much for a program like FDU, which was moribund, uh, you know, before Greg got there, is really struggling to turn it around and it takes all of those constituencies, you know, the great alums that, that are donors, uh, again, the administration, uh, not to mention, of course, the student body that, that'll be there to support at games and the community, the staff, and, and of course the players, right? So much with, uh, with their sacrifice and contribution. So having set the table there, I think the biggest thing, for a program like, like FDU is they have a lot of guys coming back and then they've had a really good, another really good recruiting class. So I mm. think from day one, you've got to accept uh, accountability and responsibility and you understand and you help and teach the new guys that have, that have come on campus that it's like Edgar Schein is his professor at MIT. He defines culture as the way we do things here. As a, I used to be with the positive coaching line, a lot of that sports psychology stuff. Uh, so I think, but I think it's big. So I think the number one thing is you establish, okay, the way we do things here is that, yeah, we, we cut hard, we run our stuff, uh, we work out, we lift, and we, we really get after it. Uh, so I think the bottom line is, number one, you, you continue that culture and understand your role responsibilities and understand that your role and responsibilities may change from today through March. So Doug Collins, former NBA guy, know your role, stay in your role, star in your role, but know that your role could change. Okay. So it's our culture. Everyone's got their role. And then on the floor, I would say that, uh, Offense is going to come and go. You're going to have nights where you're, where you're red hot. You're going to be nights that you're ice cold, like the Lakers. We talked about that. But the things that you can control are your effort and particularly defensively. Now, in the NBA, there have only been two NBA champions over the last 20 years outside of the top 10 in defensive rating. The 18 Warriors were 11th, and the Lakers in 01 were 21st. So defense to me, is key because you can bring that anywhere. It's, 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 it's for, transportable. You can have it at home. You can take it on the road. So I would have the focus on 
our culture, the way we do things here, know your role, stay in your role, start up, but no, it could change. It could change due to injuries and academics. You just never know. So stay ready. So you don't have to get ready. Jonathan Simmons, an NBA free agent. And then finally, I would focus it all on, on the, on the defense. And I think if you do those three things, you will position yourself to, uh, to succeed. And I mean, and I know, you know, uh, even uh, this year, right? I mean, they were they were one stop away from advancing in the NEC tournament again. Uh, so sometimes things like that can really serve as motivation, uh, particularly for you for your returning for your returning players. And again, it underscores uh, yeah. the importance of, of, and of that defense. Was, that was our struggles, you know, starting off the game in the beginning, you know, with the hot streak. You know, Portland did that yesterday with that lead they had with, you know, McCollum, Nurkic, Lillard, they were all taken off. They came back in the middle, halftime, but then again, third quarter started, they came off and flat-footed, Lillard took off. So I'm glad you shared that, you know, a lot to take from, especially as freshmen coming in now, they're going to need to know their experience. That's a different landscape than what it was in high school. And, you know, if they want to be successful, they got to go after it. From the right, and I would say, yeah, and also, uh, Sal and Oliver, this is, I think, a really salient point, and I'm glad you you raised that because, you know, John Rothstein, CBS's college uh, analyst, guru, insider, tweeted this out. He said, you know, for mid May, paraphrasing it, but you think about John Morant and Lillard and McCollum. So you're talking about wow. Murray State, Murray State, Weber State, and Lehigh. So if you're playing at a mid-major school, you know, I would never put a ceiling on what any individual or what any collective group can accomplish. So you see guys in the NBA playing at an extremely high level that played at schools, you know, similar to, to FDU or at least closer to FDU, you know what I mean? So I think that also uh, should serve as, as great motivation from a individual uh, skill development uh, idea uh, to also a collective idea. And uh, listen, it is all about, you know, the game at, in the collegiate level too, it's all about creating, sustaining, and surviving runs. It really is. No, I think you really have a great uh, grasp in how the new generation is coached because from the Bill Horrenda Rice Talk summary, one of the things you pointed out was role uh, improvement in the seat. And one thing I took from that, that I took from that, I feel like coaches a lot of times don't, don't see is body language. It's just a fact of like confidence, giving your players confident. And that's just the way the new generation is. Cause before a couple 20 years ago, it was more like, I'm gonna get on you and you'd fix it. Now it's more like a little bit of, in a way, babying players to succeed a little more. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, definitely. Thanks for, for the kind words, Oliver, uh, on the talk. But uh, listen, you know, Gordy Chiesa, who's actually a Hudson County guy, who was a longtime assistant to Jerry Sloan uh, with the Utah Jazz, with the late Jerry Sloan, who's a great coach and a great man. Uh, he talks about the elite coaches today uh, being new wave communicators with old school values. So, yeah, the ability to listen and understand the player holistically is really important because I think people uh, can sense sincerity 
uh, and they can sense the lack of it in a heartbeat. And in today's era, it is really important to uh, to be a connector, to be able to understand a, a player and to help them uh, be as successful as they can on and off the floor, to be in it for the long term, to really have their best interests at heart. And, 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 and that does not remove the uh, tough conversations or having to have those tough conversations with, with your players either. But I think if they know you're coming from a great place, uh, they're going to take it to heart. And, uh, and, and, you know, nine out of 10 times, despite the high transfer rate in college, you know, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to roll with it and, uh, and going to stick around and, and work it out. Uh, but it's, listen, coaching is definitely, I think it's tougher than it's ever been, but it's probably more rewarding than it's ever been as well. I completely agree with that because we have a whole new generation of players that um, I feel like some coaches don't understand that you have to adapt as much as the players need to adapt, especially the freshmen coming in, especially the sophomores when new coaches coming in is adapting to each other to be successful. For example, an FDU making it to the March Madness, that's insane, but they were able to adapt to the environment that they were in, winning the first game in the tournament, which was the most amazing thing to watch. So without a doubt, I agree exactly with what that video um was showing and anyone on our viewers right here who love basketball at least want a little piece of motivation go check it out it's bill horrenda uh rice talk summary it was dope i liked it a lot personally mm -hmm. link will and, be in the description you know, mm -hmm. link will be in the description without a doubt man so any, anything this is awesome i'm i'm so this happy is, to have you on the show you know this is great i knew greg horrenda was a great guest i knew i had to get his brother man i mean i saw i actually saw you on the show <laughs> Joey Coco Diaz uh, podcast too. That was that was fun to watch, and you know I great personality, love the family, and again thank you again to for watching the Final Two podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to have you on the show, Bill. Yeah. Hey, thank, thank you guys so much. Pleasure. This is the Final Two podcast. Like and subscribe.